0: Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. My name Olivia Agar, thanks for listening into episode 244, which today is all about canola. We have Nick Goddard, Executive Director of the Australian Oil Seeds Federation, joining us to share his insights. To start with, dissecting the current state of the canola market before we jump into the longer-term trends and outlook, with one of the big heavyweights in that narrative being the biofuel sector. There's also been a bit of a spotlight on the ISCC certification rejections, so Nick will unpack what's been happening there. It's a really great episode in store today, but before we get into it, as always, here are some of the headline movements from the markets this week, and on the grain front, International wheat futures prices have continued lower this week as supplies coming out of Russia eclipse rising production concerns in places like Argentina, Europe, Canada and Australia. Locally, values are holding pretty strong though in the face of weaker international prices. Barley markets have also reacted to both the drying conditions here as well as the lifting of tariffs by China and rallied strongly in recent weeks. It was a bit of a mixed week for the wool market. On balance, it was a stronger market in the east, with the Australian dollar providing some support in what has been a falling market. In the west, though, a hiatus from sales last week saw the Fremantle market play catch up to the east and face double-digit declines. For more market insights and analysis, you can always head to the Mercado website where you can access all our reports and sign up to the mailing list at no cost all right with that all said let's get into the episode with nick goddard well i'm very happy to introduce nick goddard to commodity conversations today so welcome and thanks for joining me nick
1: yes hi there olivia it's a pleasure to be here
0: well we're of course we're going to talk about the canola market and i'd really like to focus on the long-term trends and outlook today but before we do get to what's coming ahead Can you paint us a bit of a picture of how the canola market's faring at the moment and what some of those key drivers are?
1: Sure. Look, there are a couple of um, pretty important dynamics that are going on globally to shape today's canola market and then um, longer term tomorrow, which we'll touch on as well. But at the moment, the major driver is actually the Canadian crop. Uh, As most people would be aware, Canada is suffering through extended heat waves at the moment and and extensive bushfires. and things are looking you know pretty grim to having an awful summer like we had here a couple of years ago and that's um really putting a bit of a dent on the canola crop so typically a canadian canola crop might deliver 20 million tons that would be you know a good a fair to average year uh, 19 to 20 million tons but this year estimates could be as low as 16 million tons so that's a significant shortfall in uh, the canola crop in canada and of course that has global implications for all canola-producing nations and, in fact, all oilseeds. So that's putting a bit of a, a, a floor under the Australian canola price. And every time we hear more bad news out of Canada, it sort of helps support that Australian price. Um, of course, what's also adding to that is the Aussie dollar is is relatively weak compared to where it was um, last year. So that's also helping to support the, the, the farm gate price of canola here in Australia. The other of the factor which is a sort of the next ring of the onion out if, if you will is the uh those hot conditions that are extending into the united states and the impact that that might have on the soybean crop so you might ask well what's the soybean crop got to do with the canola but they're all part of what's called the oilseed complex and um any sort of upset in the oilseed complex has a knock-on effect to related oilseeds so soybeans obviously the major oilseed globally and at this stage, the crop is 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 flagging a little bit in the United States and uh, is likely to not deliver what was expected. So we're seeing quite a firmness in the soybean price in um, the price of soybeans in the United States. It's about $13.50 a bushel. Now, it did get up as high as 15 and $16 a bushel in recent years, but that's but where it is now 13 half dollars is a is is above the longer term average for soybeans. So again, we're seeing that support um on pricing locally. And then the third factor, or the fourth factor, so we've got Canada, we've got exchange rate, we've got North America, and we've got Argentina. So Argentina um has is experienced some very dry conditions as well, or and it and it certainly did for their for their summer soybean crop, because obviously southern hemisphere um country they're they're um in the same um seasonal pattern as Australia so their soybean crop was impacted, and their sunflower crop as well both impacted by the um by the by the drought in Argentina and then if we want to build on that a little bit further the European crop of rapeseed or canola is looking to be down a little bit as well off earlier estimate estimates
0: yeah, that's really great, Nick. It sort of sounds like in summary, you know the supply side there are you know a few production risks out there which is supporting our market here. Now, why don't we turn to the demand side of the factor? And we know you know crude oil is a pretty good barometer for global economic activity and and that price does have an impact on demand for canola. So how is that all tracking?
1: Yeah, look, crude oil obviously impacts a whole lot of agriculture. Um, because a lot of the inputs, the nitrogen-based inputs, um, are also driven off the, the price of oil, um, freight rates, et cetera, diesel and so on. But the price of oil at the moment, around about $80 a barrel, um, US is sort of where it's been for the last, uh, more or less, you know, in, in that sort of range um, for the last couple of years. So not having a big impact at the moment. Um, now, oil seeds do, Generally track um or broadly track the uh the crude oil price, but uh, not having such a great impact this this at this point. And of course, um, if anything, it's helped to keep the prices uh for inputs like urea and so on at a more modest level. If we compare ourselves to this time last year when uh, crude oil was, was over hundred dollars a barrel, and we saw that combined with just general um uncertainty in the global markets pushed their fertilizer prices right up through the roof so they've settled back down again and uh, I think we're, we're I don't think there's anything on the horizon from a crude oil point of view that might um, bolster prices further
0: that's a really good point about the you know fertilizer prices and and that difference in the market that we're seeing this year compared to last let's move on to the longer term because I really want to get stuck into that. And we'll break down the canola market into some of those sort of key market segments. And we know biofuel is a big one. It's the, the big talking point, um, the EU being our largest canola export market um, with majority of our canola there being used as a feedstock into biofuel production. So would you say that we're in the boom of biofuels now or is there still a lot of growth to come there?
1: We've certainly been riding a wave, Olivia, um, on the back of, of the growth of biodiesel, in particular in, in Europe. Um, our exports this year, or the exports from this year's crop, so into, into 2024 will be the 15th year we've been exporting canola to Europe for biodiesel. So it's been a long-term um, trend for us, and, and our crop over that 15-year period has continued to grow in both area and also yield and productivity. Obviously, the last couple of years have been fantastic with the, with the sort of yields we've been experiencing. Um, so that's enabled us to take an increasing share of that European biodiesel market. So that's, that's been a strong market. But what's starting to open up now, um, the United States, since the Biden government has come into, into power, uh, we're seeing increased emphasis behind renewable fuels in the United States and increased policy in, in both at state and federal level in the United States. And what that's serving to do is actually suck a lot more of that Canadian canola into the U.S. market for biodiesel, and that's meaning that Canada is less able to support its traditional markets like Japan, China, Mexico, etc. So, and in fact, the, the EU. So, in a in a uh, roundabout sort of way, not only are we benefiting from the biodiesel demand in in Europe. But we're also benefiting from the fact that Canada is focusing much more on its um, southern neighbour, the United States, to supply canola. And that's opened up opportunities for us. So we've seen strong export into Japan over the last couple of years. And we have also seen exports to Mexico in the last in the last 12 months. So that's been a very strong traditional market for Canada. So Canada is still supplying those markets. But... Um, the, the prices and um, the availability is meaning that Australia now has got, you know, increased opportunity to to supply those markets. So biodiesel and, and biofuels generally, but biodiesel is certainly, and, and renewable diesel, they're two different products, biodiesel and renewable diesel, but they're both, canola is still a feedstock for both. So they are, the Australian farmers and the Australian canola industry is certainly benefiting from that.
0: This sounds like there's a, a lot of opportunity there and and there is a lot of different moving parts to that biofuel story because within the fuel market, there are all these different segments like uh, passenger vehicles, heavy transport, aviation, ma- maritime. So how are you seeing demand shifting for, for some of those different key market segments over the long term?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point and really relevant point, Olivia, because um, that goose that's been laying the golden egg for the last 14 or 15 years being the European biodiesel market is starting to change significantly. Um, the European Union has made it pretty clear that they're not in favour of internal combustion engines, particularly diesel engines, into the future. And uh, we've seen major European car manufacturers and increasingly truck manufacturers like Mercedes and and Volvo um, make public commitments around uh, the cessation of internal combustion engines and, and moving to electric vehicles. So I think that is a, I wouldn't say it's a cloud on the horizon, but it's certainly something we need to take into account for the future because, as I said, that golden goose that's been laying the egg, is, the, that egg is going to get smaller and we need to be prepared for that to realise that uh, we won't be supplying that European market for biodiesel to the same extent we may be doing so now. And the United States has also similar sort of, trends and and moves um towards alternate fuels for vehicles but they're quite a way behind europe so i think you know that market will still be will will still be valid for some time but as you said it's got a lot of moving parts so just as one area is looking like um it's it's going to diminish over time by over time i'm saying you know by 2035 say so we're talking you know a decade or more but at the same time we're seeing the emergence of of alternative fuels for aviation, so what's called SAF, S-A-F, Sustainable Aviation Fuel, that's presenting, you know, very strong and and positive opportunities for oilseeds generally and, in fact, a lot of other um, agricultural produce that can actually go into aviation fuel, but the most um, direct way is through a vegetable oil alternative rather than... So so sugarcane can also go into... For, for aviation fuel but it needs more processing and different conversions but for um, something like canola oil interstate sustainable aviation fuel is is quite doable and in fact has been done and uh, so just as we see one one opportunity starting to diminish we see this other opportunity starting to really grow and I think that does present us an opportunity but also comes with its challenges because uh, if we look at the amount of fuel that say Australian Airlines required to to leave this country, let alone in term domestic flying, but it, but international flying, um, you know, the domestic crop is not going to be able to satisfy that as it is. And, and uh, that that's um part of the challenge. And uh, there's there's active work going on looking at alternate crops that might help satisfy that um that sustainable aviation fuel market. Crops not unlike canola that are brought, grown in a broad acre scenario but aren't actually food crops like canola. Uh, There'd be non-food crops that could be used for sustainable aviation fuel. And then beyond that, we've got um, other opportunities like maritime fuel. All the vessels that actually carry our canola over to Europe as seed uh, have to be fueled and currently they're fueled by mineral oil, but the technology is certainly evolving to be able to use renewable fuels, like again, vegetable oils in those sort of transport um, vehicles.
0: You mentioned there, Nick, about um, some of the other feedstocks options that are being considered into the biofuel segment. And, you know, there is a fair bit of discussion, particularly in Europe about, you know, whether to use crops for food versus fuel and and what that means. So how do you think that's going to impact sort of our, our demand for, for canola as well?
1: Yeah, look, I think that that is something that, Really, just needs to remain for for forefront in our minds because at the end of the day, we are human beings. We need about thirty percent of our energy to come from from fats. Um, that's the way we're designed to work. And uh, if we we're expecting to have ten billion people on the planet by twenty fifty, all of whom need about thirty percent of their calories from fats, uh, then we are certainly looking at the real reason that we grow canola. Yes, we're we're benefiting from the from the renewable fuel sector, but at the end of the day, it's a food. It's a food oil. It's a great food oil. It's a healthy food oil. It's used widely around the world in a, in a range, a raft of different food applications. So I think we will see more and more policy pressure, particularly initially, well, let's say, from the European Union, but also um, over time from other jurisdictions, we'll see the um, increasing policy pressure around good quality food products that are going into the fuel the fuel market. And uh, I think that is really going to be a pressure point for us. So alternate crops like Caranata, Camelina, both of which are broad acre crops, could help take some of that pressure off. So they, they, they produce an oil which is not food grade or food, not, not palatable for humans. Um, so therefore, that could take some of that pressure off. But of course, even then, we're still using food hectares for fuel, so it may not be a, a food crop, but it's food hectares. So uh, those challenges are going to come. And at the end of the day, um, we can walk. We can do without vehicles. We can't do without. We can't do without uh, food. So you know, ten billion people is a lot of mouths to feed. Uh, the world is becoming generally more affluent as as developing nations become more affluent and their diets change and their needs for healthier oils change. Particularly if we look at the subcontinent. And then across into Africa by twenty fifty, uh, that demand for food is going to be huge, and certainly going to put a pressure on how much um, food crops and food area is devoted to providing for fuel.
0: I think that's a really good point you've just made there, Nick. That you know, at the the start of this canola was heading into those food markets and, and they're still still there and and still still growing in in the back end and and going to be there for us if we do come off the other side of the the biofuels boom um and and need a market for that as well um but look that's an amazing summary nick of of what's happened you know in the The biofuel space and and what we're expecting from supply and demand over the long term. There's been a lot of chatter on on Twitter, particularly coming out of the West about the ISCC certification with a number of growers that have been knocked back. And I just wanted to ask you while you're on here, can you shed a bit of light on what's happening there?
1: Yeah, sure. Certainly, Olivia. So just in case some of the listeners aren't aware, um, we've been talking about the the opportunity that the the European market has provided for Australian growers for for um for biofuel, and in order to meet that requirement, we have had to we have had to um ensure that the crop is certified as sustainable by an approved EU um scheme, and the scheme that the Australian grains industry has adopted has been ISCC. So that's just. Parking that or, or letting letting just reiterating that point. Um, so like any certification scheme, there are there are conditions to be met. And, and what it's really doing for Australian farmers is reiterating the sustainable practices that are already in place. But what we're seeing um, more recently uh, is um, an interpretation or a recognition of part of one particular aspect of the requirements of ISCC and this has to do with aerial application of certain chemicals so not all chemicals just just particular chemicals that are regarded as quite hazardous for human health and these are detailed on the world health organization what's called the annex um a and b and uh and one a and one b and also Annex 2 they list a, a raft of about you know maybe 20 odd chemicals that are not uh deemed safe for human health or, or the environment and these are under ISCC not allowed to be applied by aerial within 500 meters of houses or population centers or waterways so this does provide pre- presents some real challenges for us um as an industry because We certainly don't want to lose the opportunity to be able to supply the European market, and yet this requirement is putting some more constraints on that. So, as an industry, we're working. uh, We're going to work with ISCC to see how we might be able to, I guess, leverage the tight um, aerial application requirements outlined by the APVMA, so the Australian Pesticides and Veterinary Medicine Authority does have very strict guidelines as to uh, buffer zones for application of, of chemicals and so on labels. And then we've also got very strong codes of practice by the Aerial Applicators Association. So we're looking to see how we might be able to work with ISCC to be able to demonstrate that actually, um, yes, recognizing these chemicals are listed on these the World Health Organization lists, but actually our regulator, which is highly regarded, not only locally, but globally, has set some very tight parameters around that, which they have deemed to be safe. Um, and uh, we, we, our aim is to be able to work with IACC to get those uh, APVMA um, requirements and the codes of practice that aerial applicators adhere to, adopted to enable us to continue there.
0: Hopefully that gets sorted soon. But in the meantime, if there are growers out there that are uncertain about the the requirements, is there a, somewhere they can go to or someone to speak to to look at this, Nick?
1: Look, I, I think the best advice is if they are, if, if growers are unsure and they're using these chemicals, and uh, I will put up on it, the Australian All Federation website under ICC a list of what the chemicals are. Uh, if, if they're uncertain or if they intend to use these chemicals by aerial spray within 500 metres of a waterway, uh, then at this stage, I think at this stage of the crops development for this current harvest, then they should not be um, uh, signing their grower declaration and, and intending to trade as ISCC sustainable grain until we get this resolved.
0: Beautiful, thanks for that. Now I think it's probably about time to to wrap up, Nick. But uh, lastly, I hear there is a big canola event happening shortly.
1: Yeah, look, we're very excited by this, um, Olivia. It's been the best part of eight or nine years in the making, but Australia will be hosting the International Rapeseed Congress uh, later this month. So the rapeseed, obviously the global term for canola. um, And this is a four yearly meeting of all the the leading researchers and scientific brains around canola slash rapeseed coming together in Sydney this time uh, to share their knowledge, share their expertise, and um, further the learnings, particularly in areas like genetics and agronomics and so on. And and uh, preceding that conference, which is going to be held um, in the last week of this month, uh, but the the last weekend of this month, so weekend of the 22nd and 23rd, there was a, a large field day being held in Wagga at the, the New South Wales DPI site, and uh, growers in the district are more than welcome to attend, to, to turn up. There are details on the website for the international rapeseed congress which is irc sydney 2023.com what are you um or just google rapeseed congress sydney and uh then you can register uh GADC have gratefully provided significant subsidies for growers to attend so i think it's something like only 25 dollars a head that's really just covering the lunch aspect but uh, new south wales dpi have done a fantastic job um on on the um the field site, absolutely stupendous any growers who choose to actually fly into Wagga for this, they'll see something quite remarkable from the air. Um, uh, I won't give any secrets away, but you have to be able to see it from about 500 feet or above to to acknowledge to to accept it. And and also pleased to say and, and gra- grateful that Nutrien is actually a, a sponsor of this field day. So big things coming up on the canola front later this month.
0: Ah, uh, that's very exciting. I have to keep an eye out when when flying over over Wagga um, over the next couple of months. Then terrific excellent well thank you so much for joining us today Nick really appreciated the insights and the very you know concise wrap-up of what's happening in the canola market at the moment so you. absolutely
1: they, absolutely my pleasure and uh best, best wishes for all the for the growers for this season
0: absolutely thanks Nick bye-bye